Welcome to the Recursive Podcast. Today we are in Bucharest meeting some amazing and inspiring people. Our next guest considers herself an accidental entrepreneur, even though she started her first business when she was only 20 years old and still in the university. Today, Xenia Montean is the co-founder and the CEO of Planable, a platform that helps marketing teams collaborate better. It is used by over 5,000 teams around the world behind brands such as Hyundai, Christian Louboutin, Viber, and the United Nations. Xenia graduated from Team Draper Startup Academy in Silicon Valley and went through one of the best accelerator programs in the world, Techstars in London. Xenia, thank you for being here today. Thank you so much for having me here. I'm excited to talk to you. I got so excited reading your story. Uh, and accidental entrepreneur is not the thing that I would define you with. <laughs> Thanks, I guess. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it, it is an amazing how a person that was raised and uh, grown in Moldova, mm -hmm. in a very, very tiny village, yeah. moved her way all the way up to Techstars and Draper University. Congratulations. Right. Thank you. I appreciate that. One of the podcasts that I listened to recently while preparing myself for, for this conversation, you said that women are um, getting more and more uh, recognition in Moldova, yeah. your president, yeah. for example. So do you think that personal example is that, that important, really? I, I think they play a huge importance in, in our lives. That's part of why I consider myself an accidental entrepreneur. I didn't have role models, mm -hmm. uh, women in entrepreneurship, in business. That wasn't a thing when I was growing up, whenever I was thinking about businesses and people that lead businesses, I always imagined a man at the top of them uh, because I didn't have those role models. So building a business that was never something I dreamed about or something that I planned. I was always thinking that, you know, I'm gonna have a job, uh, a cool job, maybe a job where I would be happy. That was the dream. That was the best case scenario for uh, for my life. Um, so I was just at the, uh, the first business. I was at the right place and at the right time. Of course, there was a lot of work going into it. And I made the decisions, a good, good decisions. I had the courage to go through with those decisions, but it was, In, in, in a way, there was, a, you know, a, a luck factor in there. Some of the earlier ventures that I was involved in, um, I didn't even label them as businesses. I was making money on my own, uh, making products, selling products, uh, marketing my business, but I never had this image of myself as an entrepreneur. So that's kind of why I call myself and accidental. I don't want to dump, downplay the importance of like work and the fact that I've put, you know, a lot of work and made good decisions, but there is a factor of, uh, of luck, of being in the right place and at the right time in my, in my story. You had no one to look up to, but yeah. now Moldovian and Romanian girls have yeah. you to look up after. So they're like, you're inspiring them, aren't you? I, I, I hope I'm making a good impression. Yeah. I hope I'm making an, 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 an impact. Um, that's definitely one of the, of the drivers. And I, I, I try to get myself involved as much as possible in the, in the community, help as many mm. founders build businesses either, you know, it doesn't really matter of the gender, but of course I do have a soft spot <laughs> for females and, uh, in business. Awesome. Uh, one of the things that made huge impact on, on your personal story in my, in my heart was 
the willingness of your mother to get you the best education possible. Yeah. Isn't this some kind of entrepreneurship to find the next step and the next step? Yeah, my mom is a hustler. That's what I <laughs> that's what I call her uh, because um, she's not she's not an entrepreneur. She doesn't she's not running like a formal traditional businesses, but she has all kinds of ventures on the side. Um, she's painting um, uh, t-shirts and she's making uh, products and she has a flower business. So she has all of those small ventures on the side that you could call businesses, um, but it's not like a formal, it's not what people usually think of as a business. And the fact that she has uh, pushed us so much to participate in things, to build opportunities for ourselves. She moved us from the small village where we were uh, born, where she was born and she lived her entire life, mm -hmm. closer to the capital of Moldova, Chisinau, so we can get a better education. So I, I think that is a form of entrepreneurship. She definitely has an entrepreneurial spirit that is super, super strong. And I think I learned entrepreneurship in a way from her without having the ter terminology for it, mm -hmm. without knowing that this is entrepreneurship, just intuitively from her hustle, from her spirit, from her ambition, from the drive that she had. I saw that in her work and, and her work ethics. Yeah. And I, I took that and I incorporated it in, in, in the businesses that I'm uh, in the business that I'm running today. What I love saying is that kids do not listen to our words, but yeah. they look at what our actions are. Yeah. And the deeds are the thing that define us. So I'm very happy that you basically explained how um, important your mother as a women leader, entrepreneur, uh, how important she was in forming yourself as a hustling, very motivated, uh, solution-oriented person. Yeah, I think the resilience is what I... I learned the most from her uh, because she has gone through a lot of um, a lot of chapters in her life with a lot of tries and failures, uh, and she has always always jumped back. Um, and I think that's something that I learned quite a lot from her: this resilience, this never giving up on the things that you want to build. And for her, that was her family. Um, that was something that she has never, she has always tried to do the best and mm. optimize as much as possible our lives. Um, and that's something that I've, I've seen and I've learned from her, this perseverance and resilience mm. uh, in pushing uh, more and striving for more. Yeah, people are, people tend to fear failure, but yeah. how did you grow around success, like between successful and uh, not so successful events? I mean, how do you... Uh, learn to treat failure in your own life? I think when I was younger, I participated in a lot of things. When I was super young, my mom enrolled me in a dancing school. I was terrible. I was so bad at it. Uh, but I remember her saying quite a lot of times that it is important to participate, that it's important to engage, and it's so important to try. I didn't understand that at a very, very young age, but I do now. I do understand that because uh, you mentioned Techstars in your introduction. It was the fourth time when we applied. But just the process of applying, the process of participating in something, and the process of just trying the best at something, even if you fail, you learn a lot from it. It's, you know, I know that this might sound cliche, but it's not a failure, it's a lesson. And I do truly believe in that. I do truly believe that. You have to try and at some point 
Um, if you don't give up, if you try enough times, you're gonna you're gonna succeed. You're gonna make it work. Let's get a bit of a context towards your your story. Yeah. Basically, you picked up PR and communications for university. Yeah. And then, in the meantime, you started your own company, which was basically yeah, an agency, an, an agency, marketing agency. Yeah. Um, that's How did this happen? Anyway? The agency. <laughs> yeah. The, the, the student slash entrepreneur agency founder um, story. I think uh, I, I always uh, like to have this. I now realize that I, I always like to have this non-traditional uh, uh, journey in uh, in my life to make things to follow a bit of an un unusual path. Um, I uh, I really loved. I was really really passionate about advertising and marketing and communications and PR since a very very young age. And now looking backwards, I can connect the dots and realize why I chose this path in my life. Because um, I was super passionate about writing. Uh, I really loved everything visual, arts, creative. I learned Photoshop at a very young age and I spent way too much time in it. Um, and then, and then, and then I, I really loved maths uh, when I was growing up a bit more. I, I even participated in, uh, um, we have this national contest, uh, Olympics kind of uh, style. Um, and I, I participated in those as well. So if you connect all of those, the uh, data, the creative, the visuals and the, the writing, you basically get advertising and marketing. Um, so I went to study that, but I, I felt like I wasn't getting the most out of it at the university. Uh, I, I, I was eager to put everything that I was writing into action. Um, but I knew that no one's going to hire me. I'm a you know, first year student who's, <laughs> I have no skills, I have no experience. And I know that, it, we, you know, young people talk a lot about the fact that it's so hard to get a job because you have no experience, but how are you going to get experience? So I knew that I need to get some kind of experience. And I got into a student organization uh, called BEST, uh, Board of European Students of Technology. And so I got into that organization. I cl climbed the ladder of that organization quite fast. And I got into uh, the board, the executive board of the organization, becoming uh, the VP of Communications, VP of PR of that, of that organization. And that's how I got, you know, by promoting the events that we were doing, uh, marketing the entire organization, doing a lot of comms and, and PR for that organization. That's where I got my first skills in marketing and, and PR. One of the biggest sponsors of that organization was uh, Coca-Cola locally in Moldova, and they were looking for someone to manage their social. And there you go. I was, I was there. I was at the forefront of that. And I took that first, uh, first client that I had, and uh, I tried to do my best. And fast forward in a couple of months, I had a small, tiny uh, agency, and we were delivering services for more clients. How That's kind of how it got started. How tiny? How many people? Uh, we were, yeah, really, really tiny, like a boutique agency, six, seven people at the most. Six, seven people at 20 years old. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Yeah, thank you. Uh, lending Coca-Cola as your first client and having a small, tiny boutique agency for six, seven people, like, right. this is the dream. Is, this is the dream for some, like, girls and even boys to have yeah. an agency of their own to do the th the way that they, they see in vision advertising mm -hmm. and uh, to land Coca-Cola. <laughs> dream come true already. And, and then you switch to something even bolder. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. I did, I, in, and now when you say it like that, I realize that it, mm -hmm. it is, uh, I, might downplay, I mean, it might be downplaying uh, things a bit. Yeah. Uh, 
two, th two things that come to mind. First thing is, would you recommend the, the way that you did this uh, to other young people that don't know where to start at? I mean, mm. volunteering their junior skills, but a high level of attitude towards learning to organizations like ISEC, PEST, yeah. etc. Would this be a, a nice step towards? A hundred percent. I highly recommend it. I learned, I managed my first teams there. I learned the basics of leadership there. And mm. I, I often say that uh, if you know how to motivate volunteers, you're going to know how to motivate your employees. Um, so, you know, you, you learn a lot there. So I highly, highly recommend. And what are you going to do in your first one or two years of uh, university when, you know, there's not that many things that you could do. And this is a great one. And also you meet people that you potentially are going to work with in your future. You build an amazing network. Some of the people that I worked with uh, during BEST are now part of our team at Planable. So um, one of them is actually my co-founder. What am I talking about? <laughs> awesome. So, yeah. <laughs> so another thing is, why do you think that entrepreneurs downplay their own successes? I mean, sometimes it's like the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. And we just focus on, the, on looking forward. But as Steve Jobs yeah. said, you only can connect the dots looking backwards. Yeah, I know. I, I think it's hard for some entrepreneurs and myself included to enjoy the present because you always know the problems that your business have. You always know the market, what's going to happen in the future. And so much of our mind is anchored in the future, mm -hmm. what we need to do, um, how our business needs to look like, what are the problems we need to solve. And we very rarely look at the past and our, our achievements. It's just not something mm -hmm. that we do. Uh, so I think that's, that's why, because our mind is just so much in the future, we don't get to enjoy uh, our achievements that much. We already explained your first business, yeah. but basically Planable is a solution to your issues as a business owner at the first place. Yeah. How did this idea came to life? Um, so uh, the agency that I uh, that was uh, running, um, we were building a lot of social media content for clients. Uh, so we were managing their social media channels, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and so on. Um, and we were doing a lot of what's called in the industry editorial calendars, content calendars. We were planning what the content is going to be like for the next month or for the next week. And everything was happening in, in spreadsheets, in Excel files, and in emails, and in a lot of back and forth. I felt that the process was um, broken and a lot of time was being wasted through the cracks of that process. Because it wasn't smooth, it wasn't streamlined. I was doing a lot of tedious work, such as mocking up how the content is going to look like. I had a fake uh, Facebook page, an unpublished Facebook page, where I was creating the posts, taking a screenshot, a screenshot and sending it to clients so that they can actually see what their content is going to look like in the end. Um, so that was a huge waste of time. And I feel like the process could be so much more improved and also the collaboration internally with my team. Uh, I remember I asked one of my uh, colleagues to actually take a look and see if there's any other tools out there. And she came back with, you know, the usual suspects, Buffer, Hootsuite, and other tools like that that were um, helping us, it could have helped us tremendously to automate the publishing and the scheduling, but all the back and forth, the entire coordination that happens 
before you know what to schedule and before you know what content to publish, that wasn't covered by those tools. Um, and one weekend, I decided to participate at the uh, Startup Weekend event in, uh, in Kishno. And uh, my uh, current co-founder, Nick, I knew him from, uh, from Best, uh, he was uh, pitching an idea that seemed to solve um, our current plot problem. Mm. And uh, that's kind of where everything started. We got together, we completely pivoted the initial version, we uh, started from scratch, but uh, that, that was the beginning. I struggled with, the, with my own uh, uh, problem at the agency and... Uh, in the end, uh, I got together with Nick and uh, with Vlad as well, our mm. first co-founder, uh, to solve this problem uh, for ourselves, but also for the entire industry. Something that comes to mind is this pro basically your product ends up the whole like circle. I mean, why didn't you keep the, the agency running using your yeah. own software? Um, because I knew that uh, I work best when I focus... Uh, religiously uh, on one single thing um, and that's what I you know I, what I wanted to do to just put my entire soul and heart into this one thing and you know uh, make it the best thing I can I can do and my co-founders felt the same they uh, and Nick left his job of uh, the uh, dropped out of uh, the university uh, we moved uh, to a totally different country from Moldova to Romania we left our friends everything that we had to build this business. So, you know, basically put all our eggs into one basket, um, but it paid off. So would you please describe a day of a religiously focused person like yourself? <laughs> we were working weekends at the beginning, you know, 14 hours a day sometimes. Um, so it's a lot about, a lot of sweat and tears that go into something like that, especially in the early days. So we were super, super united in this focus on building planable and making it, you know, really putting ourselves ourselves out there um, and doing our best to make it uh, a huge business. How quickly did you manage to land your first client? Oh, it took a while. It took so long um, because we were very young. We didn't know how to build a startup. We didn't know how to build the tech business. Yes, I did have previous business experience, but it wasn't not. It wasn't anything like uh, building a product, a tech product. Um, Nick has built tech uh, tech uh, products before. He had uh, some experience, but nothing like this that needed to be scalable so that thousands and thousands of, of people can use it. So it took us a while to build the product, about half a year at least, until we got to uh, some beta testers that were giving us feedback and using the product. But it was still, it wasn't still commercial. We couldn't, you know, mm. you know, monetize it yet. So it took about a year and a half maybe until we managed to land our first customer. And that was during Techstars when we introduced pricing plans and got our first customer that I still remember, uh, a customer from um, um, uh, South America that paid for a year in advance. And I, that was <laughs> such a joy. Not just the first customer, but one that has decided to uh, basically pay for 12 months in advance. Yeah, talk about perseverance. Yeah. So during that time, you tried to get into Techstars four times. Yeah. Uh, and it paid off, right? I mean, yeah, 
We were trying to get into more than Techstars. Uh, we had yeah. our eye on three big accelerators, YC, Techstars, and 500 startups. And since we started Planable, since the first couple of months, when we were definitely not going to get into any of those because uh, we didn't have a mm. product ready, we didn't mm. have users, we didn't have any traction, uh, we were too early, even for those accelerators that still you know, mm. uh, are focused on early stage companies. Uh, but again, trying is extremely important because you learn from that, you uh, polish your application and you get better and better at it. So we, every time they were opening a new call for startups, we were applying. So we applied in parallel probably a dozen time, uh, times at, you know, collectively at, at these couple of um, accelerators. Texas was definitely one that I really, really loved uh, and, and was excited to get into because uh, Techstars has a European presence. So they have a couple of accelerators in uh, London, Berlin, and, and maybe some other uh, cities in, in Europe. Uh, but also they are very focused on founders and the network, which mm-hmm. um, to me personally seems like a very, very important uh, value. Um, and that was the one that I, I really tried to get into. And the fourth time was <laughs> with Charm. <laughs> yeah, Tell us a bit more about your co-founders, please. And how did your connection between the three of you evolve through the times of the idea, the Techstars experience, and up to uh, 2021? Yeah, um, we've been working together for yeah for five years already. In the beginning, it was just the us, the, the three of us, and we were spending a lot, a lot of time in Cluj. That was the first. Um, program for startups that we participated in a, a pre-accelerator called Spheric. Um, in those times, we spent a lot of time working together, but also playing video games together and uh, spending times in, in bars together. So it was, you know, a very student-like experience. We were actually living back then in a student camp, um, a university uh, campus. Uh, so we were spending a lot of time together and I think that's what united us quite a lot. That's so crucial um, to just be in the same place together with your, your co-founders, especially in the very early stages of your business. And then uh, things matured. Uh, We started, you know, hiring more people and definitely there were, you know, uh, bumps uh, across uh, these couple of five years uh, with, uh, you know, our relationship. But I think we managed to smooth them over, and that's mostly because we are very aligned in our ambition to just build Planable. That's you know this this vision that we have, uh, the feeling that we are um, these underdogs coming from Eastern Europe, from this tiny country Moldova that no one has heard of. And we're building this big business and we can prove that that's possible and we can rise above, um, you know, what could have been our lives um, and, and big something bigger than ourselves. Uh, so I think this collective ambition and vision that we have mm-hmm. for Planable is what unites us and motivates us to fix any kind of communication issues or relationship issues that ever arise. Awesome. Is there something particular in regards to the values that you share mm. that keep you together through hard and happy times, of course? 
work ethics mm-hmm. for sure that's something uh, that i can always count on my on my co-founders that if push comes to shove we're gonna you know pull out pull a, an all-nighter and gonna be there and work and solve any kind of problem we're very big doers i think that's again something we're really great at executing things and optimizing it and thinking about experiments and, and like running things we're really really good at that um Humor is a big part of our culture as well. Like this, uh, we take our work very seriously, but we don't necessarily take ourselves too seriously. Uh, so you know, making fun of each other or like uh, jokes is a big, big part of our culture. And we have actually two offices: one in Bucharest mm-hmm. and one in Chisinau. And uh, Nick um, is uh, is based in. He's running the engineering team from Chisinau and building uh, the engineering team and the product team there. And the fact that we have these values across these two offices remotely and it's the same, that means that it is 100% something that is common between uh, me and my uh, my co-founders. Awesome. How do you deal with the roller coaster life of an entrepreneur, especially in Eastern Europe? Oh, damn. Uh, <laughs> it's a tough question. The roller coaster life of entrepreneurship. Um, I think just the fact that you have to remember that it is a roller coaster, it's not like sinking where you get, you know, it becomes worse and worse and worse. It, there's going to be a win at some point. And like remembering that is what helps a lot. Remember, remembering the fact that it's going to get better at, at some at some point and that it's in your control to do so. Um, that's what helps a lot. Um, but also making sure that your family, your friends support you in this, they understand what you're doing. Um, your partners uh, are on board with this mm. long journey that you embarked yourself in. And having, a, not being a solo, co-found, a solo founder, mm. but having co-founders is definitely something, you know, uh, it's good to have a shoulder to cry on. Yeah. What's the, what's the hardest thing in your personal experience about being a founder? Mm. It's a good one. Um, I think what's hard is, uh, at least for me personally, what took me a bit of time to adjust with was the uncertainty. Um, because you're <laughs> there's this metaphor for building a company. You're building a plane while, while you're oh. flying it. Where you're falling from a cliff. Right, that as well. <laughs> yeah, uh, building your yeah. Uh, so you know all of those things. Well, you're, you know you're building your future. You don't know what it's gonna look like. You're the only one responsible for it, and it's just darkness. You have no idea. It's it's fog. Mm. It's not darkness. It's fog. Like you can't actually yet mm. see how it's gonna look like. Um, that is terrifying in the beginning when you have no ground to sit on um it gets better in time when you know obviously the better the business becomes the more Mm. solid the more stable it becomes at least you have your ground to sit on you still can't see the future very well but at least it is a bit more more stable i think this uncertainty it is exciting at the same time because it can be anything like you don't know what's it what it's going to be maybe it's going to be a billion dollar business um, so you don't know yet. It is extremely exciting. Your path is not yet decided for you, but it is a bit scary at the same time. What's the most rewarding part? Oh, the people, 100%. The fact that you, <laughs> you get to choose who you work with and um, you get to build this culture that is uh, amazing and exciting and uh, people are 
you know, funny and smart and you get to learn from them, definitely the culture um, and, and the people you get to work with, for sure. How did you end up in Silicon Valley and what, what was the thought process about staying there for longer than planned? Oh, right. <laughs> so um, when uh, we were at Spheric, uh, we uh, uh, had our demo day as part of um, a startup competition uh, uh, at the tech conference in, in Cluj called uh, Techsylvania. Um, and one of the judges uh, in the jury uh, of, of, of the startup competition was Tim Draper, actually. He was a speaker there. He was wow. a key, key speaker. Yeah. Uh, so uh, he was also in the jury. And um, I got to spend some time with him during that conference. Uh, I got to talk to him uh, and um, he invited me to join Draper uh, University. I applied. I got in. Uh, I managed to secure a sponsorship for because it is uh, it's paid. And so I, I managed to get uh, myself a sponsorship for the um, the program, the academy. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I we also won the startup competition at the same time, which is also in Silicon Valley. So it kind of all tied together nicely. Um, and uh, the the prize of the competition was two weeks in in Silicon Valley with meetings, meeting investors, doing all of that cool stuff, uh, soaking ourselves in the the, the birthplace of startups. Um, but at the same time. Um, I got to participate in the in the in the academy, which was seven weeks long. So I got to meet all of these very inspiring entrepreneurs from all across the world, and uh, spend some more time with uh, with Tim Draper, getting to know him a bit better, building this uh, this relationship. And uh, my co-founders joined me as well, and so we stayed for about three to four months. Awesome! How important it is to find the right mentors to support you through the journey. Uh, I, I think it is. It is crucial. Um, I truly believe we wouldn't have made it to where we are today if we didn't have mm. our first mentors at at, um, at Spheric, but then uh, afterwards at Techstars as well. But more importantly, at Spheric, because that was really the beginning. We were in our very, very early days. Um, and the mentors we had there helped us build the confidence in ourselves the confidence, the crazy confidence that you need to build a business to, or to commit yourself to building a business. You need to have this insane confidence to jump into this crazy adventure that no one else around you is doing. Uh, so you need to look at life with pink uh, uh, yeah, glasses. And in order to, to do that, you need to have that confidence and that stamina um, to really truly believe in yourself that you can pull something like this off. and not constantly ask yourself, like, who am I? Why would I be doing this? Like, why would I be successful at this? Who do you, who do I think I am? So it's, it's really hard to not ask yourself all of those questions. And if you have mentors that really help you believe in what you're doing and believe in yourself, that is very important. Besides all the practical advice that they give you, just that kind of confidence is extremely important. Of course, they help you with a lot of tactical stuff, fundraising, building your product, but for me, it was the confidence that they gave me. Aside from Tim DeVaper, um, yeah. if you would have had the same mentors in your life, uh, who would you pick? Who are the top three people that you would pick uh, to, to advise you on the, on the path if you're just starting the business now, planning on now? Mm -hmm. 
That's a good question. I don't think I have an answer with the like uh, celebrity uh, CEOs or celebrity founders necessarily, um, because I, I I don't really follow any other um, entrepreneurs of, or or founders, and I don't think necessarily that we uh, like the most success the mo- the best mentors for you are the most successful founders or or, or CEOs. Um, they could definitely be, but I think what matters the most is the chemistry that you have between you and, and your mentor. And um, also, for me, what's important is I think to have mentors with whom I click on a cultural level, because I don't think um, founders from you know San Francisco can really understand our context and what we're going through. Uh, they would probably give amazing uh, advice on you know marketing and and product, but like fundraising from Eastern Europe or building a business from Eastern Europe, hiring in Eastern Europe is not the same. There's all kinds of specific challenges. The mentality is very different, even for founders, but also for the people with whom you're building the business, your team. So I think that's, you know, I would look at this space, you know, who has built businesses in this area, uh, successful businesses. Um, Yeah. So that's kind of the list that I would pick from. Awesome. Thanks for saying that because context really is important. Um, You mentioned hiring people. What's the recipe for hiring the the great team? How many people are there in Planable at the moment? Yeah, about 20 at the moment. Um, The recipe was to uh, hire people that are self-starters because we haven't built businesses before. So we needed we do not have the experience to necessarily mm-hmm. teach uh, those people what to do. So we needed people that were independent, self-starter, uh, super curious about the work they were doing and very excited to to build this. So they kind of needed to have a bit of an, an entrepreneurial mm. spirit in themselves. Um, so, you know, we can, we can do this together and be in the same boat. Those were the most important and they're all cultural things. Of course, they needed to be super smart and good at what they were doing. But we're looking quite a lot at those uh, soft skills, at those, um, you know, cultural um, attributes uh, so that it, it fits the best with, uh, with our company and what we're doing. I have, a, I have a favorite quote for Seth Golden. You tell me if it's true or false. Culture eats strategy for breakfast. What is it? Culture eats strategy for breakfast. Yes, I agree. I agree, especially for hiring and people and, and building like a team. I, I agree so much. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> uh, you're serving such a high demand industry and having such a culture is very important. Mm-hmm. Um, is there something that's helping you assess the people that you are looking to work with? I mean, are you using some tools like Kobe or I don't know, 16 personalities or whatever to find these qualities that you just mentioned? No, <laughs> honestly, it's just gut feeling. I wish gut I had feeling. a better. I wish I had a better answer too for you. Maybe we should. Now that you're asking me this and thinking, oh, maybe we should. But uh, no, so far not yet. It's just, it's just the gut feeling. It's just the chemistry. Um, you obviously were asking questions mm. in that direction when we were interviewing people, uh, but I often ask myself, do I want to spend? Uh, eight hours, nine hours, 10 hours a day with this person every single day? Do I have the feeling that they're, that I can fully count on them? Um, so it's, yeah, it's just gut feeling, but I, 
I think after five years of, of doing this and, and hiring and building the team, I think we do have a really good um, intuition for these things. Obviously, that's not scalable. Uh, whenever we're going to hire recruiters, they're not going to have the same gut uh, feeling as, as us. So we need to build the type of system and infrastructure that you're talking about. But so far, it was just gut feeling. <laughs> You've talked a lot about building a startup in Eastern Europe makes, makes the founder uh, res very resourceful. So how do you... How did you learn to work with what you've got? How did you learn to manage your life and business uh, as an entrepreneur when, you know, like the whole hype is about getting more capital and mm. uh, burning cash, yeah. etc.? <laughs> I think this uh, risk adversity that we've all... Um... <laughs> that we all have growing in Eastern Europe <laughs> that helps a lot with not wasting money. Mm. <laughs> um, we're very focused on ROI at Planable and we make, we make experiments, we take risks, but we're very thorough with how we spend money and we're lean and agile. And um, that has become the new sexy in the startup world, right? Cash flow and having uh, and, and being break even and being profitable that has, is becoming more and more sexy for mm. investors. So we're in a good place in that perspective. Um, but in terms of uh, like managing my, my life and everything that's happening at Planable, uh, discipline is, is what matters a lot. People don't talk, just like you said, you know, people don't talk about, it's not, it doesn't sound sexy, discipline and being thorough and managing your calendars and emails and being methodical about the way you do work, attention to detail, all of those things. They're super, super important. It's mm. not all about a bold vision and it, there's a lot of day-to-day. -day, so you need to have that focus in the day-to-day. -day. Of course, from time to time, you need to extract yourself and make time for thinking, block time for deep thinking uh, in your calendar so that you don't lose sight of the big picture. That is extremely, extremely important and it's very hard to balance them. Um, but with discipline, again, you can create that space, that bandwidth to think about the big things, to think about the market, think about where the company is going. Um, but you have to have the discipline to just organize and um, order your life in such a way that you make space for both the day-to-day, -day, the focus, running the company, executing, and also making time for uh, deep thinking. Does this frugality that we basically were raised at <laughs> yeah. uh, help and give, uh, give the edge this... Uh, um, edge over the competition, this competitive advantage for startups that are built here? I 100% believe that so, so much. Um, I think it is becoming harder and harder to do that, especially now with remote and other companies mm. um, starting to hire in this space. They're kind of edging a bit into our competitive advantage, to be honest. Um, but I think we're still not going to lose the frugality and this mm. lean attitude that we have towards things. Uh, I, I think it is super important to keep that as part of our DNA. How do you, Xenia, how do you make time for deep thinking and looking at the big picture as a founder? Because mm -hmm. you started the, like the three of you yeah. and now you're 20 people. So someone like you're the CEO might need to like stand out and have a look yeah. of the surroundings. So what we do is that every quarter we have what's called a planable summit. 
Uh, and uh, what we do is that we get together with the executive team, the leadership team, and we take a couple of days um, to think about the future, to think uh, about the, the market, what's happening, to ask ourselves profound questions. Um, and then we go into like strategical tactical planning, what are our key results for the next quarter and all of that, what initiatives we're going to have, what campaigns we're going to build, what we're going to do in the product. The first couple of days in that week are really focused on thinking big. Uh, that, and we do that collectively, uh, the, the executive team. But I, I try to block some time um, in my calendar to think about those things. Um, but it's super hard to do that in a methodical way because it just doesn't come to you when, when you're you know, scheduling it to come. <laughs> like a block in the calendar, now I need to think creatively. Big. No, it doesn't happen. So often, you know, the most like out of the box and creative ideas come to me on my way to work. I have 15 minutes from home to work where I, where I just walk and I don't, you know, my phone is in my backpack and I just, you know, walk and there's nothing else, you know, distracting me. And sometimes really interesting ideas come to me right then uh, on that walk that I have or, or while running in the morning. That's again, another space where I have no notifications, nothing with me and it's just empty space, a blank page. Um, where really interesting thoughts might occur. Sarah Blakely from Spanx uh, does the same thing. She basically gets her ideas while commuting yeah. from and to work, uh, which is a, a, a great uh, coincidence. Yeah. Another female inspiring a billion dollar company owner. Oh, wow. Yeah. A lady. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So <laughs> there you go. Uh, <laughs> something in common. With her. Something in common. Hope, hopefully there will be more and more, more things in common. Exactly. This is what I wish for, uh, for you and the, the entire company. So mm, how do you think your role within the, the company in Planable uh, evolved or changed through the years? So five years? Yeah. Um, yeah, that's a good question. I think it evolves quite a lot and it, it, it you know, in the beginning, if, we were, I was really executing quite a lot of the, you know, the marketing, the campaigns, sales. Uh, I was in the nitty gritty of it every single day. Now it's not that much about it. Now it's more about empowering the team to do that and to, so I can, you know, uh, be off one day and the company just runs, you know, and that's kind of the idea. Self-managing. Yeah, self-managing, exactly. Uh, and that's why it's important to hire, you know, independent uh, or uh, how my co-founder calls them uh, uh, missionaries, not mercenaries. Uh, so that's, yeah, that's, that's very, very important for us at, at Planable, at least with the resources that we have. Um, but uh, yeah, it, it, is, it, it changes quite a lot. Um, I'm not in the day-to-day -day of things that much. So now it's more on the high level, more strategical, the brand, uh, big customers, uh, the future, the product, the vision, um, and fundraising, you know, whenever that happens, that's my area as well. But it's more about coaching and empowering the team to do uh, better than I would have ever done it. Previously, you mentioned uh, about the Planable Summit. Yeah. And because I love questions <laughs> and this, this curiosity in me, I forgot to ask you about sharing a profound question that you ask yourself or you, or the team like what's your favorite question or type of question that you ask yourself or the team when you're thinking together Ooh, that's a good um anything that comes to your mind 
I think what we ask ourselves uh, quite often and works very well and it like throws us into like a lot of other conversations. Whenever we're afraid to make any kind of decisions, we ask ourselves, what's the worst case scenario? And this is a very, very useful question for founders that uh, are a little bit afraid of risks. Um, and we think a lot of founders and, you know, growing in Eastern Europe might struggle with that. And so we ask ourselves, you know, what's the worst case scenario? What's the worst that can happen? Um, and then we think about all the worst case scenarios, we go through them and we think, you know, what can we do to avoid any of those worst case scenarios? So it becomes, you know, quite a big conversation from there on. Yeah. Awesome. Great, great question. Uh, I believe that it might be used even for like starting your company and finding your... Right. Yeah. What's the worst that it can happen? You know, That's go, it. go back to your corporate career. Why go not? back to, to your job. You're going to, you know, you're going to find that job at any point in time. Yeah. You might lose some money. You might get older a bit faster, but <laughs> <laughs> what's the worst that can happen? Uh, okay. Can you imagine yourself going back to like corporate? <laughs> Sorry, uh, bad question. You've never had a corporate I've job. I've never had a corporate so job. So can you imagine going and having a corporate job now after you've, what you've gone through with Planavo? <sighs> I can because I've never had a corporate job. Okay. Uh, I can because I don't, you know, I might be idealizing it or kind of underestimating uh, how hard it could be because I've never had one, right? So I might be uh, being a bit naive and thinking like, I'm going to turn that around, right? Like I'm going to, there's not going to be, I'm going to push through bureaucracy or, you know, mm. is that going to be hard? I might uh, overestimating my capacity to adjust and be flexible with that, uh, with that job. So the fact that I've never had one makes it a bit easier for me to imagine having one. Um, and I think there's still, you know, a place where I could actually do some really good work, you know, and, and uh, having a job in venture capital or having a job in um, innovation, right? Like big companies, but mm. in their innovation arm or in their startup partnership arms. Uh, so all of those areas, they seem like, uh, you know, uh, they don't seem too bad to me. So I, I don't think a corporate job is something bad in itself. I think it can people mm. do amazing work and are super happy, you know, corporate jobs. Um, and I might have one in my mm. life. Who knows? You never know. I've never thought I'm going to have a business. So who knows? Do you consider yourself as a perfectionist or more of a learning on the go type of person? Um, even if it makes like making ton of mistakes. I'm definitely a learning on the go person. Uh, I remember that in the beginning uh, of starting Planable, I was so anxious about the fact that I do not possess enough knowledge to build a company. And I was anxiously reading a ton of things about startups. I think that was useful for that point in time. But I remember learning, um, uh, reading an article about learning where they said that, you know, uh, sometimes it's more important to um, learn for something that you're currently dealing with. So like learning contextually for the problem that you just bump in bumped into rather than, uh, you know, learning in general. Um, I still think that both things are super, super useful. I'm just more the type of person that I read articles whenever I know or I read, I don't read books, I read articles, <laughs> I read business articles, or I, I connect with other people to learn what they've been doing. So I research a specific topic whenever I'm bumping into it. I sometimes might be reading some articles that are not related just, you know, because it might spark some idea. 
But, you know, I would say 80% of times I just learn on the go while I do something and I do research on the side while I'm doing that thing. It's a, it's a great tactic, actually, for um, finding solutions to this particular problem that you're like facing. Yeah. Um, would you mind sharing like a, a concrete example of like something that you bumped into and how did you approach it and what kind of, kind of uh, information did you gather um, just to, to make find your solution for it for example fundraising i've never been fine you know, i never fundraised so the first time when i had to do that i had no idea you know how to approach it from what angle what to do so the you know i've read a lot of articles on that subject before fundraising now i don't read that much about fundraising because it's not i don't need it at the moment but back then i, I was reading a lot about it, how to do it, what are the tactics, how to organize. I was looking at uh, webinars, courses, all of that things. And besides that, I was also connecting with a lot of founders that have gone through fundraising processes and learning from them as well. I, I really, really enjoy having these conversations with people and learning from them, not just from books, but from people that have actually gone through something like that. So that's one of the, um, one of the situations where I, where I had to do that and learn it on the go. Um, what kind of message, what kind of knowledge would you share with your 18-year-old self? Ooh. Message or, or knowledge? Like message yourself, like you have 180 mm. characters in Twitter. <laughs> Send Xenia a Twitter message about the most important thing that you've learned and she should know. To not be afraid. Yeah, I think that, that would be not be afraid. You're stronger than you think you are and smarter than you think you are. So yeah, be bold. How important is being bold actually? Because um, people in Eastern Europe maybe underestimate themselves. Like you said, we are the underdogs. Yeah. Why are we the underdogs? Why aren't we not the, the superstars? Yes, we don't have enough uh, success stories uh, in Eastern Europe. We don't have that many companies to look up to. Um, we don't necessarily have the best economies. Like I consider myself an underdog because of the things that you mentioned at the beginning, right? Like coming from a small, born in a small village in a post-Soviet country, um, the poorest country in Europe, um, and managing to build something out of yourself. That I, I think that's a classical yeah. underdog story. Um, and I think the more we build more successful, we're superstars at some things, just not at startups, not yet. Um, we're superstars at... Uh, executing, we're superstars at uh, technical, uh, engineering, talent, all of those things, we're really superstars at that. Uh, but not, not at business, just not yet. But it is coming. I feel like it is coming. Um, and there's a lot of, you know, the more success stories we have in our own home countries, the better it is. Like the UiPath story in Romania. And uh, Bulgaria is having a lot of success stories recently, right? So all of those things that are happening, I think they're going to help inspire new generations of founders. They're going to get the courage to be bold and not be afraid because they've seen it happening in the past. You can't be something that you haven't seen. You can't build something that you've never seen happening. Awesome. We were talking about underdogs, but actually you're from Moldova. You speak fluently two languages mm -hmm. at like Russian and Romanian. And there goes the, the, the English. So, In French, I learned French at school. I don't speak it fluently, but I, I can read it and understand it. <laughs> so 
here, speaking at four languages, you are basically able to talk to investors in four different, totally different markets. So isn't this an amazing advantage that we really underplay? Yes. So the advantage of Eastern Europeans is just our intellectual power. I think it is 100% there, like speaking multiple languages, being super good at math, arts, engineering, uh, technology, mm. uh, physics, all of those stuff, like the intellectual power is 100% there. We just need a bit of time to polish it and to focus it into and to develop it on the business side as well, because that's novel, right? In the U.S., um, you know, children learn to build businesses, lemonade stands from a very, very young age. We don't have that here. Uh, they learn in school how to play uh, in a theater, how to speak uh, publicly. So all of those things are super useful when you're building a business, when you have to pitch investors, when you have to talk to a lot of people and put yourself out there. They're used with that because they go to all of those activities. They kind of set the stage for them to build businesses. We don't have that yet, but maybe we will in the future. Senia, there's uh, one question that we always ask our guests at the end of uh, such a wonderful conversations, just like ours today. It is, what would you like to be remembered for? Oh, wow. Well, that one is deep. Um, I would like to be remembered for For um, for the for the hustle, for the for the drive, uh, for the energy that that I'm bringing into everything that I that I do. Um, not necessarily. I mean, yes, at the moment it is planable and it's going to be planable for a very long time. Uh, but whatever I do, I I I hope that's that's what I'm you know being seen as like the this energetic uh, power and the drive that I'm bringing into and uh, the fact that I go full in into, into something that I, I, I do. Um, I think, yeah, that's, that's, it kind of ties well with the resilience and the perseverance that we were talking at the beginning. So we now go into our blitz round yes. <laughs> with Xenia Montean. <laughs> Let's do it. You ready? Yes. What are you, a morning person or a night owl? Definitely not a morning person. <laughs> not a morning. My, my, my sweet spot is waking up at nine. That's my most comfortable time. So not an early morning person. Instagram or TikTok? Lately, more and more TikTok. Um, yeah, more and more TikTok. I'm going through a TikTok phase uh, quite a lot. <laughs> Too much, probably. Yoga or jogging? Definitely not yoga. I got into running um, since uh, since April. I'm actually preparing for a, for a race for the Bucharest Marathon in October, which I am very very excited. It's gonna be my first race. Um, but yeah, running. Which is the tool that you use most often in your daily life? My calendar. I live in my ca I live and breathe in my calendar. Um, that that's the it drives my life so my calendar i think and uh, my email as well and the good list it never hurts a good list is always a good idea innovation is 
um, impossible until you try. I am proud I come from Eastern Europe because? Because we're underdogs and we're cool <laughs> underdogs. <laughs> the best marketing advice that I have received is? Um, building, a, building a brand first before even having customers. My big, bold entrepreneurial dream is? Making planable the standard for creative collaboration worldwide. And I am on a mission to? Build meaningful, impactful businesses that change um, millions of lives. Awesome. Senia Muntean, thank you so much for being today with me on the Recursive Podcast. It was a pleasure having you and I'm very lucky to be on this position because I know how much Irina likes talking to inspiring female leaders like yourself. Wishing you best of luck and loads of success with Planabo and your future endeavors. Thank you so much for having, here, having me here. I really enjoyed our conversation. Pleasure was all ours. In the next episode of the Recursive Podcast, Georgi meets the future trend spotter and co-founder of Social Innovation Solutions, Ciprian Stenescu. Werner uses the term of juggling. Yeah. So, and that's a problem because when you juggle, you, you really focus on that. You're really looking at the whatever yeah. you juggle with. So you don't really look around and see what else is there. And if you are just as passionate about innovation as we are, Hit subscribe for the Recursive Podcast on YouTube or your favorite podcast platform. We're everywhere.